Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Mark Falter. How are you? I'm here. Uh, He is the president of Mid-American Tax Advisory. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, kind of how you got to create your own firm and, and give us a little bit about your background. Basically started in the financial services industry uh, 29 years ago and um, basically got into the industry similar to a lot of other individuals that have gotten into our industry through the insurance area and then uh, basically went on into the area of financial planning and then recently in the last decade I say recently, but it's been quite a few years we've been in a tax and estate planning area. And so we basically do tax planning, estate planning, and uh, investment planning. And tell me a little bit about what kind of clientele you have. The vast majority of the clients that we work with now are median age, 72. Um, They have assets accumulated. When we reach them, they just want to keep their assets, and they don't want to see losses. Uh, So we basically specialize in what I call the conservative and moderate income-generating areas uh, outside of the stock market. So if you have these people with money and their earnings pretty much zero on CDs and money market funds these days, and they want to stay out of the stock market, what do you recommend for them in general where they can get a decent yield without taking risk to capital? Well, that's a good question, uh, Jordan. In fact, a lot of people um, think that the only way to make money is to be in the stock market. It's something that uh, Wall Street has done a very good job of pitching us on. And there's lots of other areas, such as municipal bonds, corporate bonds, preferred stocks, um, areas of that nature, certain managed accounts that have little to no risk of the market. And our real estate investment trusts another example. Income-generating areas, um, basically, that do not take on the volatility of the market. If interest rates were to rise, though, those kind of things could get hurt. What, what would be your – are you not concerned that interest rates will rise in the future particularly? Uh, say it one more time. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that last part. I, I'm saying are you not particularly concerned that interest rates are going to rise because interest rates rising would hurt preferreds and REITs and corporate bonds, all the things you just mentioned. Interest rates very well could. Now, there's some other areas that we have that are less interest rate sensitive. Uh, like, for instance, the managed accounts that we work with, they're not invested in equities. Per, um, they're invested in more – um, non-interest rate sensitive items because uh, that's something we're planning on. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when the Fed takes the interest rates up. And uh, we're constantly looking at the preferreds to make sure that we have the right uh, preferred at the right time. And if we uh, find the need, we can actually end up exiting out of this. So what, what are some of the instruments you're using that are not interest rate sensitive where people can get a yield without too much risk? Oh, one area that we work with uh, that is t- totally not interest rate sensitive uh, such as uh, fixed annuities, equity indexed annuities, things of this nature are not affected by interest rates. Um, one particular money management company that I utilize, um, they actually have had a good history, 14 years of, of timing of the high-yield bond market, and uh, they've had a, almost a 7% return for the last 14 years with their worst year being a negative 3. And um, again, Fed takes the interest rates up. It doesn't really affect them because they're able to pull out. Okay, very good. So let's. one of your big topics is elimination of debt. Uh, you, before we get into the, uh, how you should eliminate it, what 
size is the problem of debt in this country these days? Oh, man, it's enormous. Um, one of the reasons I've often said, and I'm kind of a little bit of a fan of Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey is good, but I'll tell you one of the reasons he's like the Beatles. The Beatles were at the, were at the right place at the right time, um, and Dave kind of came along at the right place at the right time. The age group of 20 to 50 years old uh, has more debt than just nearly almost any other generation before them. Um, the typical clientele that I work with, the 72, 73, 75-year-olds, they don't have a lot of debt. Uh, they were raised by parents that were in the Depression, or they themselves vaguely remember just parts of it. And they have what I call a depression mentality. But unfortunately, our age group, uh, my age group, I'm 48, has had it so good they really haven't had to suffer, and they literally spend 118% of their income. That's what the national statistic is, 118%. So they've got to get it from someplace else. So what is the cause of that? Are they, are they just buying things they really can't afford? Are their incomes are lower? What is causing them to go into such debt? It's not really their incomes are lower. That's the thing. You, you know, I work, when I first initially came in to the industry, I worked with a guy that had a saying, and I'll tell you this saying is held true kind of like a proverb. It's, it's held true forever, and that is uh, it's not what you make, it's what you save that counts. Uh, I've got people that I've run into that are making $40,000, $50,000 a year have more um, Monies than people making one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand a year, um, because they just don't manage their money well. So probably, I would, I, I, if I had to really narrow it down to one thing, I find is the lack of a budget. <clears throat> you know, corporations, businesses wouldn't even think of running without a budget, but yet individuals do it all the time, and they don't know where their money goes, and um, so they don't know really know where to tell it where to go. People kind of look at a budget as a negative thing. It's imposing restrictions on them, and a lot of people, even who tell them to do it, don't end up doing it. How do you get your clients or people to actually use a budget that's, that they're going to be able to implement? Well, you know what I've found is true, Jordan, is that people that come to me um, that have assets already established, I'll ask them the question, do you budget? And they'll say no. But then as I quiz them further, I find out mentally they have certain areas in their head that they know where their money goes, and they spend certain areas. They're budgeting. They just don't do it. I would say once I explain to them, it's like a, basically like a diet. If you totally don't control anything about what you eat, you're not going to be as healthy. Once you get it under control, it becomes a lifestyle. Once it becomes a lifestyle, then you're actually ready to go on to the next level. And uh, it is tough, but I've found people usually um, can get there in about 30 days. Once 30 days of budgeting... And they'll find, like, one client, uh, who, excuse me, actually I taught a class. He wasn't a client on budgeting and took people through the benefits of budgeting. And he sat down and did it. In two weeks, he found $600 a month he didn't know he had. So he was sold on it right away. So do you have um, software or an app or writing it down? How do people actually keep a budget on a day-to-day basis? Here's what I have found is it depends on the person. And, and I've learned this through doing it with people. There's different types of people. There's analyticals, and for that type of person, they'd work well with an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, there's people that are just more artistic in nature, and I have found that they will work best by using either the envelope system or possibly just uh, writing it down on a sheet of paper. Uh, but some way, you've got to keep track of the monies. The envelope system is been around longer than you or I, and that is take the dollars and put them in the envelope. And when you see nothing, no more dollars in that area, you're done, <laughs> and you can't spend anymore because the dollars are going, and it'll it'll get you on track there. 
Um, once a person is on, what, what I did for years and I still do is I use a software program, Quicken. I use Quicken for years and I've used it so long I, I, I am used to it. It's, it's something that I input everything. Now, you also say it's important to have an emergency fund. Do you find a lot of people don't have an emergency fund? And, and how much of an emergency fund should you have? I hear three months, six months, 12 months. I hear all kinds of different numbers. When a person comes to the budgeting class that I teach, uh, the very first thing, even before budgeting, the very first step, and again, Dave Ramsey calls this baby step number one, but again, I agree with him. The very first step is $1,000, minimum of $1,000. And there's a reason for that. If you, you, first of all, you will have an emergency. It's not a matter of if, you will have an emergency. And if you do not have $1,000 set aside, that emergency is still there and you still got to pay for it. If your car doesn't run, you still got to get to work. So what you're going to do is you're going to get a credit card. So the $1,000 is a buffer between you and the credit cards. Once you've got that 1000 set aside, then I suggest a person get on a debt snowball to start paying down these credit cards once those credit cards are down, then they can increase that emergency fund. And yes, three to six months of income, three months minimum, six months is really great. Um, and that is, but again, at least initially starting with a thousand. I found uh, kind of like an elephant, you eat them one bite at a time. That if a person thinks of six months of income as an emergency fund, they don't ever get started because they're at zero right now. So a thousand dollars is easy for most people to achieve in about a month or two. And where should they keep that emergency fund where they can earn something as opposed to having it earn nothing? Well, this is the thing, Jordan, and I find this happens a lot. Uh, people think I want to get a good return on my emergency fund money. Um, there is no way to do it today. With the, the, and I hate to plug any one company, but if I were going to suggest any, get on the Internet and go to everbank.com. That's the highest rate I've ever seen on an um, uh, interest-bearing account that's liquid. And you're still not getting over 1%. You just right now, with the Fed's rates being as low as they are, you just can't get that good of money on liquid money. But you've got to remember, that's not for interest-bearing accounts. The interest-bearing stuff comes in in your retirement planning. This is for liquidity. It's very hard to get high interest in liquidity, too. Yes. So you say it's important for people to change their mindset uh, as it pertains to debt. What is their current mindset, and how should they change it? You know... What I have found is uh, one of the probably, if I had to narrow it down to one or two things, one of the primary things is wants versus needs. Um, you got to really sit down and realize you're just not going to be able to go buy everything you want. And uh, if you, if you now, again, sit down with the budget. You got to set now. One of the things on budgeting, you got to set an amount per aside for miscellaneous. Because if you set zero there, you're going to screw your budget up the first month. You're going to have to spend some money on miscellaneous. But when you go over that limit, uh, you got to stop. And so then you, unless you absolutely need it, you don't get it. Um, one of the best stories that I'd ever run into is a fellow that went through my class that helped me teach. He was really a believer in this concept. Uh, there was a really good deal on uh, Wii, the little game, you know, that they were first time in, everybody wanted one. But he was over his budget for Christmas, and he literally turned down a real good buy on a Wii. And that was his own kids. I, I don't know that I could have had the kahunas to do that, but he did. And uh, so it kind of teaches you when you're out of that area, you're out of that area, and you just got to really separate your wants from your needs. So how can people tell the difference between their wants and their needs? Because they think it's something they need when it's actually something they want. Typically, if it has to do with 
you eating it or shelter over your head or your employment and continuing to be able to do it, outside of those areas, it's usually a, a want. <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, most people I have found know. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> that's, that's a big difference for a lot of people. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Mark Falter. Uh, he's the president of Mid-American Tax Advisory. And a website for him to find out more about uh, Mark is at midamericantax.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Mark Falter. He's the president of Mid-American Tax Advisory, uh, based in Kansas City area. Uh, His website is midamericantax.com. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Well, thank you again for having me. So we were talking about debt, kind of the mindset around debt. So what are the benefits of using a debit card uh, versus a credit card? Again, it comes back to this mindset. If you use a debit card, it comes straight out of your account. If you use a credit card, it is, of course, uh, you know, sits there and you're using Visa's money. Now, I'll tell you something you get into. May I've even played the game, too, and, and um, you think you're going to accrue points. You're going to get sky miles and all this stuff from this, and you can if you're very studious. But the people that typically come into my budgeting class I urge them not to go there because it's kind of like trying to win with the casino. The casino's got it down to a science. They're going to win at the end of the day. Visa and MasterCard have mastered this thing. They know how to win this game. And by using a debit card and actually having the money come out of your account, you physically see it the next day on your on your bank account if you get online there and see it. Versus the deferred seeing it, it's much easier to spend. You're going to find you'll spend more money using a credit card than a debit card because of that mindset. It's just easier uh, to spend money that way. So you don't think it's a good idea to build up 
freaking fire miles or some kind of rewards points if you're if you pay it off in full every month on a credit card? Well, let me let me put it this way. Um, I agree with Dave on most points, but this is one little area that he and I kind of split hairs on. It depends on the person, and I feel very um, 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 like I almost shouldn't say this because the people that again come through my class, I just adamantly tell them no, don't go there. Once you've gotten those debts paid off, once you've gotten that emergency fund, if you've got a person that is studious with their money, then yes, go ahead and accrue those miles. If you can beat them at their game, and to be honest with you, I do it. I beat them at their game. I I put everything on a credit card and pay it off at the end of the month, and I accrue miles, and, and I'm way ahead of the credit card company. But most people, I'm telling you, can't do that. There's a reason, Jordan, that they're willing to give away those free sky miles, because they know that if 100 people come through the door... 90 of them are going to lose the game and 10 of them are going to win, you know. And, and by losing the game, you mean they're paying high interest because the rewards yeah, cards have higher interest rates than non-rewards cards is what you're saying. Very, very, very much true. If you let it go for more than 30 days, it will accrue interest. And uh, something to check on on your credit card if you're going to play the game and try to beat them. And again, I learned this lesson the hard way. There's two different types of ways that they accrue interest. Um, one particular company, one particular Visa company that I had, Whatever was on that card on the day the bill was due got charged interest. The other one, they charged it from the day that you put it on there. So even though you could have that thing down to a zero balance at the end of the month, I'm a very large company, let's put it this way, a lot of advertising on TV, you'll still get charged some interest on it. And so you've got to kind of know that up front and, uh, and question the company that you're doing it with. But bottom line, with a debit card comes right out of your account, very good if you need the discipline to do that mental mindset, and if you use a debit card, and this is very important, if you use a debit card, don't enter it via the PIN. <clears throat> use it like a credit card. If you use it like a credit card, you get all the safety and security that you have with your actual credit card. One of the reasons people will use a credit card versus a debit card is um, they want that security. Well, you'll have that security if you use it as a credit card. And one little other caveat on this, I am not a believer of using a debit card online. If I go online to purchase anything, I'm using an actual credit card um, because I really, really want that security. Indeed. Now, you have what you call the debt snowball, which is a way of paying off your credit card. Explain how the debt snowball works and how people can put that into action. Uh, Basically, what you do is you add up your credit cards. um, You figure out which one is the lowest balance first to the highest balance. And then you really target that low balance one. Say you got a credit card, it's $500, you got another one, it's 1000 then you got another one, it's $5,000. you are going to go after the $500 one first. You're going to make some extra, you're going to run your budget. That's why it's so important that you run your budget because you've got to know how much extra do you have. You stick to your budget, which is going to give you that additional money that you need in order to put toward that $500 balance, and then you pay off that $500 balance first, then you take that additional money that you've now loosened up and you put it to the $1,000 credit card. Now, an accountant would sit down with this, because I know him, I work with them, they would sit down with this and say, they would say, no, Mark, you're wrong. Go for the highest interest rate first. You've got to remember, this is all about a mental mindset. You've got to change the way you think. And the sense of accomplishment of getting that little credit card paid off get, gives you the mental ability to continue on with this with this uh, process. If you go for the big credit card first and you get frustrated four months into it, you know, because it had a 27.9% interest rate, 
then um, how much good did it really do if you quit? So you feel you also can be rewarded as you go along with some, some progress, is what you're saying. And to be honest with you, I tell my class that when they get that credit card paid off, reward themselves with something. Don't be charging on the credit card to do it, but reward themselves with something like going to dinner or a movie or something like that so that they'll feel a sense of accomplishment. Because it's not a real fun thing to do, but it's very, very important. And uh, one thing I've also found with credit cards, a very, uh, again, a very misconce- uh, misconceived idea that many people have, and that is they'll have credit card debt, and they'll be putting money into their 401k at work, and maybe even doing a Roth IRA. And I urge people, stop all of your investing. Stop it all until you get that credit card. Ben Franklin said it years and years, decades and hundreds of years ago, a penny saved is a penny earned. If you're paying interest to a credit card company of 12.5%, my question is, where can you go get 12.5% consistently every month right now? If you pay that credit card off, it's like making that kind of money on your money. Uh, one way for people to get out of debt is to use a debt consolidation company. There's two kinds. There's nonprofit credit counseling companies, and they are for-profit debt settlement companies. Maybe talk about the difference and when you should use them and when you should not use them. Well, I'll tell you a little uh, story on myself, and this is probably one of the reasons this is a real near and dear to my heart. When I first got married, uh, we've been married 25 years, we weren't the wisest with our money, and we did everything I'm telling you to do. We did the opposite of it, and uh, we had a lot of debt. And we went to the true credit counseling companies. These companies are hard to find now. Uh, we went through a credit counseling company. They helped us consolidate. We made a simple monthly payment. We got out of debt, and that's been decades ago. It doesn't even show up on my credit now. And I've learned from that. And I have been out of debt for quite a while and hadn't had to fool with this for quite a while. And her, her many advertising advertisements on, on television about this and talked to a friend of mine that's a, a fellow that's helped me teach before, and he said, Mark, these are different. These companies here, uh, they, they are for profit, and they will trash your credit getting you out of debt. What they do is they make a deal with the devil, so to speak. In other words, they make a deal with the credit card companies and get them to take the amount you owe them down and put it into one monthly payment. But in the process, they will trash your credit, almost akin to bankruptcy. And a matter of fact, there's probably more benefits to the bankruptcy side than having your credit, credit trashed through these guys. Are you saying that your credit will be trashed with both Debt settlement companies and nonprofit credit counseling. No, the nonprofit guys don't don't trash your credit. Just just the for profit guys. The for profit guys will do it, and they will trash your credit in the process of doing this. So you got to be very careful. Uh, to be honest with you, I think you're better off doing it yourself. And typically, they'll charge you two or three or four thousand dollars to do it. And they charge you three or four grand, and they trash your credit. So it's really it's a lose lose deal. So it's trashing your credit because you're not paying back the full amount of right. uh, principal, right? Right, puts a mark on your credit and so forth like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how, how does having a debt settlement on your credit compare to a bankruptcy? It's not as bad. Yeah, it's not as bad, but I'll tell you what, it'll keep you from getting financed through um, many institutions. Um, when I say it's not as bad, it's, it's very close to as bad. Uh, you going to have a tough time getting a refinance on a house. You're going to have a tough time uh, getting a car unless you go to one of these high interest rate type places. And um, it's, it's very close to it. Um, and so that's on the that settlement side. So then on the nonprofit credit counseling side, um, you think those do not affect your credit. And, and when is that appropriate to do if you can't really get the interest rates down on your own? Usually if you can't afford <clears throat> to even do this. If you've run through that budget and there's just nothing left, 
um, you just can't handle the amount that's charged on there. Um, and you're making minimum monthly payments. If you got to understand, if you're making minimum monthly payments, you're, you're going to be for the rest of your life paying these things off. At that point, you need to seek some outside help. I have found 90% of the time through doing the budget, doing the debt snowball, um, that will usually solve the problem. But if it's just so much that you can't afford it, now, you've got to remember this, there's always the ability to go get an additional job. My brother, um, he got into debt and he got out of debt. He literally worked three jobs and his wife worked two. They worked five jobs when they first got started getting out of debt. So there's other options. People just don't want to go do them. And I would do that before I would go get my credit trashed. You you said that the the, the, um, thing people have to realize about getting out of debt is not quick and easy. No, no. Everybody wants a quick, easy solution because that's unfortunately our... That's what got us in this debt in the first place, <laughs> if you yeah. think about it. Everybody wants a silver bullet, but it's not. you didn't get in fast, you're not going to get out fast. So if you're not going to get out fast, you say that the, it starts in the mirror, as you put it. What do you mean by that? Well, you've got to take a look at yourself and how you're spending your money. Um, take a look at your, 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 the way you spend your money. And I'll tell you, uh, there's, there's budgeting. There's sitting down and writing everything out. You've got to keep track of everything and where it goes. And I tell everybody, I said, if you ever owned a computer or any type of electrical device, they're going to send you an instruction manual with it that's 27 pages long and you usually don't ever read it. Then they have a quick start guide. The quick start guide everybody reads because it's only two or three pages long. And I tell everybody, if you want the quick start guide to budgeting, look at two areas, meals and entertainment and miscellaneous expenditures. And if you'll watch those two areas, 90% of the time, those are the areas that are too high and screw up your budgeting. So do you think a lot of people take on more credit cards than they should, just as, as a temptation? They're being offered these things, and they just say, might as well take it. What, what, what harm could, could come of it? Yeah, and I do believe they, sh- they are doing that because once here's the, here's the issue. Once you get out of debt, <clears throat> once you get your debt credit cards paid off, you, your credit goes up. And when your credit goes up, you get all these offers. And when you get these offers, you take them. I don't think you should. I think you should shred them. And uh, because it's just too much of a tempting scenario uh, for you to be in, and you don't need it. Um, you, don't, you don't need it. The, the biggest area that's growing, even more than credit card debt these days, is student loan debt. So what should people do to avoid taking on student loans? Or if they have a big amount of student loans, what sh- should they do to get that under control? Well, student loan debt now, that's that's a different area. And this, this, you've got good debt and bad debt. And uh, if you're... Getting into debt to get an education that's going to allow you to go out and get a job to ultimately pay this stuff off, um, most guys that are doctors today would agree that the amount that they borrowed for their medical school was not bad debt. It's allowed them to make the income that they're making. Um, student loan debt, um, I, to be honest with you, I'm not against it. You just got to watch where you go to get your student loan debt from. And if you get it from the government, uh, you're usually going to pay a very low interest rate. Uh, something I'm seeing happen right now in my client base, and it's very frustrating. And I've, I've not seen in 29 years in the business, I've only seen it in the last four or five. And that is parents, 70, 72 year old parents, uh, taking money out of their retirement plans and giving it to their kids or their grandkids to go to school. I'm not a real believer in that. I think the child needs to have some skin in the game. I borrowed yeah. money. When I went to school. I had my kids borrow money for them to go to school, and having skin in the game makes them um, want to do it that much more. Yeah, no, I'm seeing this as loud as well. Parents and grandparents cleaning out their own retirement funds or HELOCs to, uh, you know, for their grandparents, grandkids, 
uh, education. It's not a good good idea. Not a good idea at all. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Mark Falter. He's the president of Mid-American Tax Advisory based in the Kansas City area. His website is midamericantax.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, and we'll now have a break, and our next guest after the break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Jim Lineweaver. He's the founder and CEO of the Lineweaver Financial Group uh, based in northeastern Ohio in the Cleveland area. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks for having me. So let's just talk a little bit about your background and uh, the firm that you've created and what kind of clients uh, you deal with these days. Sure, yeah, we started back in 1993, so we're on our uh, you know 21st year here. And we're an independent financial planning firm. I'm a certified financial planner, and we have seven offices throughout the northeastern Ohio area, but we're also uh, have clients in 14 states, so they tend to stick with us over the years and with referrals and things. But we're totally independent, so we represent everything on the security side as well as the insurance side, and we have we'll handle some uh, corporations and retirement plans and things along that nature as well. And a lot of these people are in or near retirement. Is that the core of your base? Yeah, it's really getting people ready for retirement and uh, in retirement is really our focus. And uh, it really helps anywhere from, like we talked about on the corporate planning side, to help the owners and employees max out their retirement plans, take care of their, take advantage of their deductions and things, as well as just handling the financial tax, legal, and insurance for our clients. Because what I did is several years ago, 
we used to help a lot of credit unions with their financial planning and their members and things. And, you know, they wanted to bring in additional services for their members. And I said, you know, well, why don't we do the same thing? So what I created here in the greater Cleveland area is what we call a Wealth Watch Center. And we coordinate all our financial, tax, legal, and insurance affairs for our clients all in on kind of under one roof, if you will. What, what are some of the big concerns your pre-retirees and retirees have these days uh, with where interest rates are and what their needs for income are? Well, on the interest rate side, it's not been too much of an issue because we don't have a lot of people, and we, we never really have, of people that just had money you know, sitting in savings accounts. So it's been an issue that, you know, we obviously want their emergency reserves set aside there. But from the traditional standpoint, they've been invested, you know, from, you know, like I said, on the independent side of their insurance investment side when they come with us for, for the longer haul. And it seems to work out very well. But a lot of the questions, you know, arise in the, I'd say the biggest thing is the coordination of everything. A lot of people have had you know, a stockbroker here, an insurance agent there, their CPA here, an attorney there, but the the approach is never coordinated. And I find that with the advisors not communicating properly and huddling together and dotting the I's and crossing their T's, there's a lot of uh, holes in their financial plan. So the biggest issue I would say is that it's really lack of communication from their advisors. And when you can pull those resources together, and keep in mind, people don't have to use our attorney or our CPAs and stuff. We can, we'd be happy to coordinate with them. And if they're their own, if they have them, that, you know, the issue isn't saying that you have to come to us. It's like, let's say, you know, we need to get a quarterback on your team to really coordinate all these services. So, and once they get that, they feel a lot more confident about their plan. They can see what's going on with their investments. They can really understand what's occurring with taxes and really be a lot more comfortable with their overall retirement plan. What would be an example of a hole because of lack of communication between the different advisors, something that uh, is not being handled well? What would the typical kind of situation be there? Oh, there's numerous ones, but, you know, some of them, even just on the attorney side, we have, you know, attorneys do a good job of preparing all the documents and stuff, but if people aren't getting their accounts titled correctly to avoid probate, let's say payable on death or transfer on death or setting up their beneficiaries correctly, and one of the biggest ones today that we're running across in this legal side is having people's IRAs set up with trusts as the beneficiaries, and the trusts are not written to be able to be stretched out and they're running into problems because even though the trust may say, you know, let's, you know, have this stretch out provision in there and let's make sure the kids don't just, you know, lose half of the money by inheriting it all at once and running out and buying the latest, greatest thing. And even though the intentions are good and the trust may allow it, there's a lot, there's some insurance companies and some investment companies that will not distribute the checks appropriately. And the problem is, is once some of these checks are cut, a lot of trusts do not allow the rollover rules or rollover to take place within 60 days because that check was not payable to a person or an individual. It was payable to an entity. So you see a lot of issues out there where the I's are not being dotted and the T's are crossed as far as some of the legal documents. And we even had an account uh, that the, one of our clients didn't tell us about. It was a little rare, but it was a $70,000 account. They didn't think it was that big of a deal. And here, when they passed away, they didn't have the proper beneficiaries on that. And it turned out a local attorney charged $4,000 to have that probated. 
which we thought was absurd, but there's nothing we could do about it. If we would have been made aware of the account ahead of time, all we had to do is put a simple, you know, transfer and death or beneficiary on that, and there's no cost to it, and it could have avoided a lot of expenses. So that's just one example of why you really want to make sure the coordination is taken care of and that the implementation, you know, it's one thing to have something, it's another thing to execute it and get it done correctly. A lot of people don't follow the details, I guess, yes. Now, one of the things you say that's very important is to rebalance a portfolio. We've got the stock market that's had a huge run here. The bond market's had a huge run. Uh, how do people's portfolio get out of whack, and how should you rebalance it? I mean, it's hard psychologically for people to sell things when they've gone up a lot. <laughs> it is. It's, well, that's where that greed factor comes in, and you got to really be careful about that because you know what happens when people get greedy. So the one thing to really look at, at least on an annual basis, we feel, is to look and see if you need to rebalance your portfolio. So let's just say, for example, you had you know 60% equities and you know 40% in fixed income or bonds or some other instruments. Well, if you, you had a decent you know equity exposure, you probably had a good run-up in the last few years. And with that, then you might be sitting around a 70-30 mix. So your equities have gone up, and as a overall percentage, your fixed income or other holdings have gone down. And especially right now, it's a great time of the year to do some tax harvesting to see, you know, back in that 08, 09 time frame, if you have any losses from back then or carryovers that haven't been used, what you can do is exercise those by by selling some of your equities and let's say take 10% off the top or lock in some of those gains and redistribute those. And actually one of the uh, tax laws that's expected to kind of expire at the end of the year is for people in the 15% marginal tax bracket or less, if they uh, handle things correctly, they could actually sell some of their equities and actually pay zero capital gains taxes on those as long as they've held them for greater than 12 months. So not only should you look right now at the year end to do some uh, rebalancing with an all-time high in the market, but what you can also do is see if from a coordinated standpoint, if there's any other losses or other things that are out there that you could offset some gains against or take advantage of this zero capital gain rate could be a great opportunity for you. And that's something you think is going to expire at the end of 2014. Yeah, you know, there's, they're kicking around ideas of trying to extend these things, and sometimes the government actually will go into the next year before they actually change some of these uh, tax laws or make them retroactive. So right now they are set to expire at the end of the year. Who knows after the uh, beginning of the year if they do decide to change it. But guess what? It's too late because you would have to execute anything you want to do before December 31st. So all we can do is work with the laws that we have today. What are some things people can do to gift, give gifts uh, at the end of the year, uh, not only to be charitable, but also to get some tax benefits? Yeah, this is uh, along those same lines. So let's say you did have a run-up in a stock and you've done well. You could actually gift that stock for full face value to a charity and, uh, you know, if you had a stock that went from 50 to $100 a share and you gifted that at $100 a share, you're not going to have to pay any taxes on that, but you'll be able to get the write-off for the $100 per share, not just the 50 So to be able to take care of some charities around the year that might be able to help out some people that are less fortunate, or also let's just say you wanted to give some money to your family or grandkids. 
Um, one of the mistakes that we see a lot or where people get confused is we'll have some grandparents that actually gift money to their grandkids for education purposes and then they're going to, you know, those kids are going to go ahead and, and cut that check to the school for their tuition. And what people don't realize is that the grandparents can actually pay that tuition directly to the university, and it's not part of the overall gifting rules, which right now is 14000 per person per year. So if they're restricted to uh, thinking that all they can do is the 14000 they can actually do that plus the amount that they would pay for the education. So it falls over and above the actual tuition cost. So it's unlimited? I mean, say somebody has a $60,000 college tuition bill, the grandparent could pay the entire $60,000 and still have, be able to give another gift of $14,000 under the gift tax limit? Yeah, and if they're married, it goes to $28,000. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 as long as they're cutting that check directly to the, to the university and paying for that tuition bill, then yes, they can do that, and then the other gifting would be over and above that. A lot of people don't understand that when you give a gift, the person who pays the tax is the giver, not the receiver. Is that correct? What are the the gift tax rates these days? Oh, they're high. They're almost as high, you know, like trusts and stuff. So, uh, you know, they can be get up to 35% or higher very quickly. So, yeah, and a lot, also a lot of people don't understand is that, let's say you do want to give 60000 to your grandchild and there's no school involved or, um, you know, if you want to make a large gift to a family member of, of any size, it's over 14000 per person, then we all have this unified credit that we can actually either take with us to the grave and make sure that we don't pay any federal estate taxes, or we could use it while we're living. And if we do that, then anything over that 14000 we could just file our unified credit at the end of the year. There's a tax form that has to be done for it. And what would end up happening is we would just chip away at that $5.3 million and it would be reduced so that, um, let's say, you gifted a million dollars away to family members, then you'd be down, and I'm, you know, I'm rounding these numbers, but you'd be down to about 4.3 million minus the, you know, plus the 14,000, and then that's how much you would be able to save in the future from the estate taxes. So by sometimes thinking about, you know, the kind of outside the box, if you will, you could do some gifting to reduce the level of your estate. And worst case scenarios, you know, you could always bring it back. So if something doesn't work out or now technically what happens is that's their money, that's their ownership, they would have to be in agreement. But for a multitude of, of gifting ideas, of strategic planning ideas to get some money out of the estate and things along that nature, you can take advantage of some of these gifting abilities and rules and really try to help uh, maximize your overall estate, not only to yourself, but also to your loved ones. Do you expect any major tax reform, both on the individual and the corporate level, to actually become law in, say, the coming two years, the rest of President Obama's term? Uh, Yeah, we don't usually get into taxes too much. I mean, as far as... uh, We'll do a planning from the investment side and things, and, and uh, but we're we're not studying the tax code to really know which way they're headed. Traditionally, um, I would actually like to see the capital gain rate actually come down a little bit, if possible. Um, but overall, see, see, it's always a function of you know if marginal rates go up, what really happens to your deductions? 
And so it's like, what's, you know, net to the bottom line? They, like they used to say, well, you know, we had a 90% tax rate in this country. Well, yeah, but you could write off credit card interest and all these other things back then that you can't anymore. So I look at it from this standpoint, you know, we always have to deal with what the cards were given, but what other strategies can you implement out there to try to help lower your overall effective tax rate? I want to, you know, I'm all for paying my fair share, but I don't want to have to pay a dime more than I have to because we never get that money back. But um, I, I don't have a, an exact, you know, forecast really of, of which way tax rates are going to be heading in the future. All right, very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Jim Lineweaver. He's the founder and CEO of Lineweaver Financial Group. Uh, their website is lineweaver.net. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Jim Lineweaver. He's the founder and CEO of Lineweaver Financial Group, which is based in Valley View, Ohio, uh, near Cleveland. Uh, welcome back to the show, Jim. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, tell us about uh, your your registered rep of a particular place. I, you wanted to tell people about that. Yeah, just for compliance purposes, we always have to get this out there. I'm a registered representative of Sigma Financial Corporation. They're out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And just tell people what people can find out about at your website, lineweaver.net. Yeah, well, they can learn a lot more about this Wealth Watch Center that we created, uh, where we do coordinate the financial, tax, legal, and insurance affairs for our clients. 
And if they get onto our website, they can find upcoming education programs. We don't have the education programs available in a podcast or anything yet, but they might be available in the future. However, what we did create is uh, I'm on two local TV shows here, and uh, one is called The Golden Opportunity Show, and then also on a local uh, ABC affiliate, we created a little Wealth Watch segment. And if people go to our website, they can look up different news and events and they'll see these segments on there. We cover a wide variety of topics from, you know, when to collect Social Security to retirement planning to legal and tax issues as well. So very educational. Nothing lasts over about four minutes. Some of them are one to two minute length, minutes in length. And then if anybody ever has any questions on them, they can feel free to, you know, reach, reach us through the website as well. Very good. Now, one of the things that's going to be happening in 2015 is the retirement plan contribution limits are going to be increased. Uh, tell me about that, and what should people? How should people take advantage of that? Yeah, well, what happens is uh, in the past year, people under age fifty were able to put down, put in seventeen thousand five hundred dollars into their four hundred one ks, four hundred three bs, and certain four hundred fifty seven deferred compensation plans. That's going up to eighteen thousand per year, starting in two thousand fifteen. So, don't forget, a lot of these things have to be payroll deducted. You can't just send in a check at the end of the year to catch up. So you might want to contact your resource department now in order to increase your contribution limits. So it comes out of your first paycheck in 2015. If you have a catch-up provision, which means if you're over age 50, you get another 6000 So you can get up to 24000 on that. And what a lot of people get confused on that is, say, they have, they're in a retirement plan that is, say, top-heavy which means that the highly compensated employees can only put in certain amount of their pay per year. Sometimes it's limited to 4 or 5 or 6%. Well, people miss, uh, misunderstand the whole concept of this catch-up. The catch-up provision, if you're 50 and over, is in addition to that. A lot of people think they, think they can't do the catch-up if their retirement plan is top-heavy. And when they get that money back at the end of the year, but once you hit age 50 and you're above that, then you can put in the full catch-up provision plus whatever the company's capped out at. So very important. Um, and then also for people that are in deferred compensation plans, so this applies to maybe some educators and teachers. It also applies to a lot of police and firemen, where if they're in the last three years of their retirement, absurd say before they're going to retire, that what ends up happening is they actually can take that 18000 next year and double it to 36000 and be able to do some significant catch-ups, even higher than the 24000 a lot of other people are eligible for. So very important stuff. The government's allowing you to put more money away. Great way to pay yourself first. And what we like to call it is triple compounding because you're getting your principal making money for you, your interest making money for you, and your tax savings making money for you as well. And are the contributions for IRAs and Roth IRAs going to be changing in 2015 as well? Uh, those are going to be staying the same. So that would be at $6,000 for 2015. Do you find most people are saving the full amount or not saving enough? Well, once they, once they kind of work with us a lot. I would have to say I agree with you on, the, on when people are coming in, they're probably not saving enough. Um, but what we like to do is provide some simple disciplines like every year when you get a pay raise, you know, take half of that and put it away for yourself and invest it. The other half, go ahead and spend it because you deserved it. But a lot of ways we can try to help coordinate people is maybe consolidating debt or refinancing their home or getting more tax-deductible interest as opposed to non-tax-deductible interest. And with those other type of savings, 
we can usually help increase the monthly cash flow that they have and help put that money back into savings as well. So it all comes back to that whole coordination where, uh, you know, all the rules are changing all the time on the financial tax, legal, and insurance. But if you can have somebody that can kind of quarterback that, it really helps to kind of see things from the 10,000-foot view or the bigger picture. And we can really help people increase their savings, right? But as, as a country, yeah, we're one of the worst savings, you know, populations in, in the whole world. And it's unfortunate, but hopefully every little step forward helps. Uh, one of the things you want to talk about is market volatility. We've had... A lot of changes going on recently with Ebola and ISIS and Russia, Ukraine, and uh, oil prices falling, all kinds of things. How should people deal with volatility, both financially and emotionally? Well, what this is, you bring up a great point because this emotional side is where people get into trouble because they have a hard time, uh, you know, trying to peel back the onion, if you will, and looking at the core of what's going on. Just look at a month and a half ago. You know, we thought the whole market was crashing because of the Ebola outbreak, China slowing down, what was going on in Europe. You mentioned oil prices that back at that time below went below $80 a barrel. Now they're below $70 a barrel. So uh, even though that's helpful for the consumer, you can also wonder what the ripple effect is from multiple countries. But, you know, then all of a sudden, a month and a half later, we're up 1,700 points in the Dow, and it seems like we've discounted a lot of those things. So... Uh, one thing that you can look at is what's called the VIX, V-I-X. It's actually a volatility index uh, measured against the S&P 500. It's basically what people are willing to pay for options tied to the S&P 500. And back in October, that VIX got up to around 25 or so. And, uh, you know, it's back down in that $12 range or so. But traditionally, when we were back in the 90s, it was much normal in the 9 to 10 range. So even though we're back down to the lower end of that segment, the VIX, what we call it, is kind of like a fear gauge. It's a way to get a pulse on what people are thinking about the overall markets and the S&P 500. And it can be really helpful to just find out the barometer of what's going on out in the uh, you know economy. Not a clear-cut measure by any stretch of the means. You can never pinpoint just one thing and try to go by it. But it helps us just determine a little bit of what the sentiment is out there regarding the overall market. Going forward, we're still at a pretty low level. Do you think volatility is going to be increasing or decreasing? I think it'll increase. If you look at last year about this time, you know, we had a dip back in October. Then we had a little bit of a run-up towards the end of the year. We're almost in the same exact scenario we were back in the end of 2013. And then we got through about the middle of January when the dust settled from the holidays. And then we had we went into a little over a 7% correction through the middle of uh uh, probably beginning of February. So I think you're going to see some more volatility after the dust settles and to get back to some more of these fundamentals, ISIS isn't going away. Europe, you know, still has issues. They're trying to deal with some type of stimulus over there like we did years ago. China's slowing down. We'll see how this holiday works. I will tell you one thing that's a huge benefit to everybody is these low uh, gas prices. Indeed. As a matter of fact, most people, if you if you really ask them, what did you know was the stimulus for QE one, two, and three, and you know how was it measured and how did it help you? Ninety nine percent of the people out there can't tell you, but they see it right at the gas pump, and it's really going to help everybody out around these holidays. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been Jim Lineweaver. He's the founder and CEO of Lineweaver Financial Group. Uh, they're based in Valley View, Ohio, near Cleveland. His website is lineweaver.net. 
get a lot of interesting ideas and all kinds of things he's done uh, that you can find out at that uh, website. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Jim. Thank you. Take care. Thanks very much. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.